Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa. These five countries are together called BRICS. Now, if those countries want their own currency, they can do it. And that's going to mean, that's going to be an impact to the reserve currency of the United States. In a divided world, this group may emerge as a force to reckon. This is the Debunking Economics Podcast with Steve Keen and Phil Dobby. This week, the new BRICS trading block. There are so many stories around about the idea that they want to create their own trading currency, which kind of makes sense if you want to do business with each other without resorting to the US dollar, a bit like the old ECU in Europe before the euro came along. But what is curious is the number of people suggesting that this new currency, this new trading currency, will be backed by gold, as if that's going to make it more valuable. Do people really hark back to the glory days, supposedly, of the gold standard? Is that really a good idea? That's this week on the Debunking Economics podcast. So we got rid of the gold standard for good in 1971, I think, wasn't it, when we finally kissed goodbye to the gold standard. Have I got my timing right? Pretty close, 71, yeah. And, uh, well, maybe not for good, though, because... Uh, BRICS, the the nations. Uh, so what is that? That's uh, Brazil, Brazil, Russia, India, and China. China, and there's a few others vying to be part of this. You know, not the West regime, mm. uh, who want to introduce a new trading currency. We've talked about that in the past, but I've been reading increasingly about the idea that this might be backed by gold. Oh my God. So uh, you wonder how that's going to work. The biggest buyers of gold from 2010 to 2022 were Russia, buying 1,650 tonnes of gold over that period, followed by China buying 956 tonnes, and Turkey buying 425 tonnes. So we've talked about the idea, Steve, of a, of a BRICS trading currency before, mm. and thought, well, that makes perfect sense. But why would they see the need to have it backed by gold? What's their thinking? Oh, back in ideology again. Mm. Money should be a commodity. Yeah. That seems to be the idea. They're literally talking about basing it on gold rather than the size of the economies. Well, I think it's hearsay. I, but I, th I think, um, but I've read it in a few places now. So whether it's right or not, just it, it's an opportunity for us to talk about the idea of, because there are enough people. Well, like a whole load of people who've been uh, in, in investing in Bitcoin are doing it. Yeah. They, you know, they, they are gold a lot of them believe in the gold standard and think that you know that we went wrong living from gold from gold bugs to bitcoin bugs yeah because yeah. it's because it's constrained mm, by yeah. uh, by size uh, as opposed to obviously fiat currencies which are variable mm. so i can only think that these nations are thinking well if we've got if we're backed by gold or we're constrained in our, the size of our currency then, then it's going to behave properly and it's going to have more value. It's, yeah, it's a, it's a regime that we can follow, and it's going to have more value against those fluctuating Western currencies where you never quite know how many of them there are. That would be the thinking, presumably. I imagine so. Yeah. So, so where does it go wrong for them? What, what are the constraints? Well, I mean, you, you come back to what is money. 
That's mm. the initial. And and what form of money works best if you are in this situation where you want to have your economy grow over time? Okay. But again, I've got to put the caveat about climate change and what we're about to face, but take us back to the 1900s and say what system will lead to the fastest rate of economic development. And the gold bug argument is that you have to go to trust in the value of money. Okay? It's, the, it's, the, it's the price of money that matters the most. And therefore, they think, well, gold um, uh, is, is... Will inflate the value of money. Yeah, well, if, if you know, the, less they say it, if you tie you. gold, if you tie money, if money is gold, um, then there's you you can't create more of it easily. Uh, you've, you know, there's only a certain amount of gold on the planet. Uh, it's constrained, and that'll mean it keeps its value. Mm. So maintaining the value of the money is a huge obsession with gold bugs and Austrian economists and all that mob and so on. And they think that the fact that the money reduces in value over time is a sign of a failed system. So if you have inf- inflation and driving down the value of money, they say, well, that's a sign of a of poor form of money. And with gold, you can't have inflation reducing the value of gold. So gold will have a, a firm value and that'll enable the, the physical transactions in the economy to work effectively. Right. But how does it, if you've got a constrained amount of money, but you've got production going up, then... Then the prices prices have to be falling over time yeah. to enable that to happen. So it's deflationary. Yeah. You, you, in a sense, you need things to be getting cheaper. Over. If, you, if, if you're going to have a, a fixed amount of money or a fixed money supply uh, and a growing economy, yeah. then you've got to have more physical units of output per... Um, I'm a factory that makes a widget, and in 10 years' time, I can make two widgets just mm. as effectively, and I can sell those two widgets, but there's only the same amount of money. They're going to be sold for half the, the price, price they were initially. That's, that's the sort of vision that... The, the the gold bug world has, I believe. Or any gold bug wants to contradict me, uh, please write a note to Phil, and mm. we can we can take it from from there. But that's the fundamental idea: the value, the value of the monetary measuring stick has to be constant in their attitude, and and that's a lot of the reasons why gold bugs support the idea of a gold backed currency or using gold literally as your currency over fiat money and credit money. Uh, and they also say, look, 100% of fiat systems have failed in time, uh, whereas gold, you know, gold uh, continues. Also failed. Huh? Well, sorry, <laughs> you're taking my line away. <laughs> Otherwise, we'd what, still what, be there. What they're fundamentally saying is we don't live in an Egyptian empire or Sumerian empire. Empires fail. And when the empires fail, the money that the empire enforces also fails. Uh, but they, and the other way, they say, well, it's actually the money that failed and therefore the empire collapsed. It's the other way around. The, the British, you know, with the dominant a monetary system on the planet until the 1930s. They were the dominant monetary system because they were the dominant empire. They failed during you know, the Second World War and the Americans take over. Um, so it's, it's not that fiat currencies fail, it's that nations fail. Mm. And then when the nation fails, the currency goes with it. But their attitude is the other way around. And ironically, if you look at it that way, that's why I made the joke about being Egyptians. Um, if their argument was correct, that uh, if, if the Egyptians had used gold, then we'd still have the Egyptian empire. No, it would have failed at some point. Mm. Okay, its its power reach would have collapsed. So, if there was a currency backed by gold, mm. you've got to have enough gold to support that currency. 
the currency has got to be worth its its weight in gold, I guess. Mm. Uh, and yes, it's got to match the value of the gold backing it. So that is a little bit, you know, well, it's, it's appealing, constraining. I mean, it's appealing. I mean, if, it, if it's happening, it's because the people who are arguing for this currency are, are trying to appeal to the gold bug and the the Bitcoin. Uh, Fans, fans of the world. Um, I. But, if, it's, but if, if you've got, say, you've got, I don't know, uh, four thousand tons of gold supporting mm. this currency, then that currency can only ever be worth four thousand tons, tons of gold. Yeah. Is worth. yeah. And, and they it, talk about maintaining a rigid relationship between whatever the note is that reflects the gold and the value of the gold itself. So maintaining the value of the currency at a fixed rate would be an obsession. Uh, but that's the obsession that, of the gold bugs. That's if if the the brick groups are talking about this and they're falling for that same obsession. So it should be backed by a commodity. So America's got eight thousand tons of gold in its in its reserves. So uh, um, three quarters of their foreign reserves are sitting in gold for, mm-hmm. for whatever for historic reasons. I assume. I mean, there's no reason why they they have their reserves in in gold particularly, no, except not, for the, not, they not except they yeah. had it. So you know. They haven't sold it because they can't see any. Well, if you go to back to when, if you want to go back and say when was the when, when was the American currency in any sense a gold-backed currency? Mm. It was until 1981 when uh, was it was not until 1968 the price of gold was 35 dollars an ounce. Yeah, right? and then in 68 I think that's when the deregulation occurred. So you had a 35 dollars an ounce price for the official market and a $42 an ounce price for the private market. <clears throat> and then in 71, the gold standard was abolished, so there was no required link between the value of the dollar and the value of gold. And if you have historical uh, elements that people these days might not be aware of uh, is that because America's running a trade deficit, <clears throat> pardon me, because they're running a trade deficit, uh, France in particular is running a trade surplus, and De Gaulle and France accumulated enough gold to be able to, enough American dollars, pardon me, mm. through the trade deficit that America was running, to be able to take those American dollars to the Fort Knox and say, we want one ounce of gold for every $35 we're going to give you here. And that would have emptied Fort Knox. So that was the major motivation for moving off the gold standard yeah. in the first case. So what's to stop that not happening again or happening the other way around? So like, uh, you know, say the currency becomes worth more than the gold that's lying behind. You'd need a country running a trade surplus in the BRIC currency, accumulating enough of the BRIC currency to be equal to the gold holdings and then say, OK, I now want that gold. Instead, but like it, it comes back to this confusion that uh, that money is a commodity, mm. that money should be a commodity, and then and, and that uh, and that you you can't have a variable currency. That's that's the whole obsession of people who are. But into even it. if that was the idea, would it work when say you hold four thousand tons and America's got eight thousand tons? It's like you. You don't hold the constraining. You don't hold all of the constraining. Yeah, factor. That, that's that's an extra weakness with this current current idea. But um, I mean, there's a whole lot of confusions, of, you know, conflations of issues as to why growth occurred dramatically from 1770 on, um, and in America from 18, 1840 on. But 
a very good argument can be made that the flexibility of the fiat currency system and flexibility of the credit system was a major reason why the level of investment occurred in that period. Again, Richard Vogue's by these two books, the, the the most recent one, The Paradox of Debt, and one before that, um, um, my phone just rang, so pardon me, I've got to start that again. Uh, Richard's Vague's two most recent books, The Paradox of Debt uh, and, and A Brief History of Doom, both explain that the level of investment that occurred in the 19th century was often credit financed, and a huge part of that investment was you know, credit bubbles and wasted assets and so on. But the, the, the growth itself came out of the flexibility of the monetary system. Mm. And if you didn't have that flexibility, you might not have had, it's a counterfactual we can't ever know, but you might not have had the level of growth that went with it as well. So being obsessed about the value, maintaining the value of the currency unit may lead to a lower rate of innovation and growth over time. Whereas people who are fans of this stuff believe that with the value being fixed, you're gonna get more growth and more investment over time. And I wonder also whether it's, you know, you look at some of the currencies involved here, so the Russian ruble, uh, the the Turkish, I mean, if Turkey got involved as well, because Turkey seems to be being added to this whole thing now. I find that quite bizarre, but anyway, yeah. Uh, And, you know, in in South Africa as well. (laughs) And if China was involved and, you know, so you've got a mix of currencies there. Do we trust those currencies as much as we trust the US dollar for example mm. and the answer obviously is no because these are i mean they fluctuate a great deal the uh you know so if you've got some dodgy currencies in unstable parts of the world uh, and they all mm. form together to form a you know a, a, a currency made up of uh, you know dodgy currencies are we going to trust it mm. so the answer is well of course you can trust us because we've got gold sitting behind us. That's if, it all, that, if it all goes that wrong seems, that's you can always where the arguments come gold. from yeah mm. i imagine that's where it's come from so if they're in that situation and they feel like that's what they have to do. They are in a in, in a, an impossible way of creating. I mean, because that is an issue, isn't it? How do you create? Unless it literally is just a let's trade amongst ourselves currency like the EQ, which makes perfect sense. Mm. But even then, you know, they they're going to be uh, they're going to be arguing amongst themselves over the value of each each currency. China is not going to be very happy if they see their currency being influenced by countries that they've got no control over, like Russia, like Russia. For example, maybe, yeah, mm. or mm. South Africa, or if Turkey, or Saudi Arabia, definitely, yeah, yeah, yeah. So how does it work in the end? It, I can't see this happening. Yeah, I mean, I, I again, I've, I've <laughs> wanted uh, reforms that move us in the direction of the bank core. Mm. The original idea of the bank call. But that's a global thing. So that's, yeah, and that's uh, global. And the idea was it's a currency not owned by any particular country, not tied to gold. So you can take unstable. I mean, the whole idea behind that was you can take unstable currencies and, and help stabilize them yeah. because you've got other stable currencies that help uh, counter all of that. Yeah. Got and up. the more countries you have involved, the, more the less... Yeah, the the less dominance of any one currency, and you've got a mix of countries running. Well, once you, if you had every country in the world being part of it, then there's no trade deficit in the aggregate to worry about. But if you have a handful of countries, then you could have trade deficits of some of those countries destabilizing the trade surpluses of other countries, and the system could break down. Yeah. All right. Look, well, there's more of this discussion about uh, the gold standard and uh, the role of currency. We'll come back to that in just a second on the Debunking Economics podcast with Steve Keane. I'm Phil Dobby. Stay with us. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. 
Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is the Debunking Economics Podcast with Steve Keen and Phil Dobby. Uh, so we're talking about the BRICS currencies and whether they want to start a new uh, currency gold back. But I mean, we're just using whether that happens or not. And obviously it's not going to happen because it's such a crazy idea. But just this idea from the uh, from the people who do want to return to the gold standard because mm. fiat currency is such a, an evil. But I mean, we are talking about gold being a physical commodity in an age where transactions are all done on computer i mean we you know we are in an age of digital currencies mm. it, it seems an anathema to be talking about something that uh, you know that is physical controlling how much we spend in an age where we're just used to not seeing the money we spend yeah and uh, like the gold itself um you know why why gold and what's the value of gold uh, there's a wonderful exchange between uh, uh, thomas edison and journalists, uh, when Edison and Ford were trying to get fiat money to be used to create, uh, to, to finance the building of a, a, a hydroelectric scheme in a place called Muscle Shoals. Mm. This is after the First World War. And uh, Edison was challenged about uh, you know, using fiat currency rather than using gold. And the journalist saying we should be using gold as our currency. And in essence, it's not gold that sets the value of the currency. It's currently sets the value of gold. And he used the example of silver, the silver dollar. And the silver dollar used to be worth a dollar. Okay, That was the price it was set at. And then silver we went from a, a, a two... Uh, commodity system of gold, uh, gold-backed and silver-backed, to just gold-backed, and the value of the silver dollar fell to fifty cents. And Edison's argument was it wasn't the silver that set the value of the currency; it was the currency that set the value of silver. Okay. Mm. Okay. So. This, this well, either there would, there, would, there would always be a circular argument, wouldn't there? Well, it, 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 it becomes semi-circular in one, in one sense, but the, the, when you look at it, at the political level and say what determines what becomes a currency inside a particular nation, that decision is made by whoever rules that nation. Mm. And if they decide to use a commodity and say, we're going to use gold for transactions, then they are actually determining the value of gold. Gold is, if gold is, if you had to, if, if you use like tally sticks, for example, let's yeah. use the well, let's, let, let's say, with this, let's imagine, for example, there was a commodity that was only available in those BRICS nations mm. and nobody else had any of it. Yeah, I think this is the point you're trying to make. And they said, well, okay, let's base our currency on this commodity that we've got 100% of the world's supply of. Yeah. 
then the value of that commodity is going to be driven by the value of the currency. That's right. A political decision is going to be made to determine that value. Yeah. And then because of if that if that currency was uh, let's say turkey feathers, we're mm. talking about turkey a short while ago, turkey feathers. Okay. And you have a you know, all the turkeys in the world, of course, come from Turkey. Yeah. So therefore, Turkey's well, got a monopoly on turkey feathers. We're so informed uh, on this. And suddenly, too. suddenly, turkey feathers are going to be worth a lot more because they're the, so the, the valuation is set by the political decision, not not the other way around. Mm. There's no innate value or price to the object. And the same thing applies to gold. Gold, uh, until we developed uh, uh, silicon computers, gold was a very minor element in any production system. It was ornamental. Mm. It wasn't used for a, a physical basis. So in an ironic sense, we've had the gold bugs are trying to base uh, the currency on something which has no actual use value. In yeah. terms of productive, in, in terms of a use to which it can be put, which, which is, is valuable, okay? which is which is why so much of it is sitting in the in the in the vaults at the Federal Reserve. Yeah, who cares? Mm. And I, actually, I, I think Ford at one point made a, a comment about how uh, the idea of a, a gold-based currency is to dig this stuff out of a hole in the ground and put it to another hole on the ground. Okay? The only difference was this hole in the ground had dirt on top and this hole in the ground has a vault in front of it. Yeah. Okay, that's the difference. Yeah. It's still not even there. And we're saying oh, that's where all your gold is. Uh, money is fundamentally a promise of a third party that we both accept uh, as ending a commercial transaction between the two of us. So if I wanted to buy that microphone off you uh, and I'd say he's going to transfer a 1,000 pounds from my account to your account. You, know, you have it for a 1,000 if you I want. I know. I'm sure it's going to get, only get, worth get, definitely going to get a sale here. <laughs> uh, that, that is a transfer. The bank's promise to pay me a 1,000 to the bank promising to pay you a 1,000. So it's, money in that sense is a triangular hmm. system. It is uh, a buyer and a seller and a bank, okay? And that's the actual nature of money. What this whole commodity um, obsession is based upon is seeing money as like a barter system. You've got something you want to sell, which is the microphone. I've got lots and lots of cups. We want to exchange the two. We work out a relative price between the two. That's the neoclassical fantasy What's the obsession? barter. It's the obsession with scarcity, isn't it? Again, there's yes. got to be a constraint. Yeah, yeah. Scarcity. Whereas the nature of capitalism has been abundance. Too much of it. Mm. We actually need to impose scarcity here. I would probably like ultimately to have a, a monetary system which is based upon scarcity of a range of things. Well, there we are, Steve. Gold's your answer. I think it's... <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, actually, I mean, in all seriousness, biodiversity, it, it, carbon levels, et cetera, et cetera. These are the sorts of things which we, we need. We need a multi-dimensional definition of money ultimately to have a sustainable system on this planet. Right, but it, but you know, it's a it's sort of a serious question. If if yeah. the, I mean, we're saying it's not going to work because if you want if you want the economy to grow, you've got to have more money to be available. But if you to want help to stop growth, the economy growing. growing then you constrain the money supply. Then you want to constrain. So it's a different story. Right. Okay? So and then the gold standard makes sense. Then then a standard which which relates the level of gold to various physical capabilities of the biosphere. 
then it makes sense to start talking about some way of constraining the amount of money. Because there's a, a, a good argument that having just money as the, the, the single dimensional thing called money as the basis that drives both exchange but also accumulation in our societies, that's why we've ignored the damage we're doing to the biosphere, ignored what we're doing to other species, ignored what we're dumping into the atmosphere um, because we're just accumulating more money in the process. So maybe we do need a multidimensional form of money, a form of money which is constrained to elements of the biosphere that must be maintained to maintain life on this planet. So then I've got some sympathy with the idea of a physical constraint to money. So if we did have that physical constraint, if the world went on the gold standard again, uh, we would... Uh, well, first of all, what I think we'd have one tenth of the amount of money we've got now. Total value of money uh, is about, if you look at you know the, the broad money, about ninety trillion on uh, in circulation. Yeah. There's one hundred and seventy-one thousand tons of gold in the world. So the ratio of money to gold is basically five hundred twenty-six million per ton, but the price of gold is about fifty million per ton. So if we said everyone's going to go back onto the gold standard, then we'd basically devalue currency um, by a factor by of 10. 10 well that would solve your crisis of uh, of the uh, uh, of the environment because we wouldn't be able to spend any money on anything mm. is this a good is this a step in the right direction no, it's a shocking step obviously because it would completely decimate our literally decimate our standard of living um, but if we are trying to constrain consumption because we think the planet can't stand it then is this is fiat money the way to do it well, fiat money, I think, ultimately is going to be what we need to use to get to be able to have any chance of hanging on to civilization through the damage from climate change. Because we've got to create the mitigating circumstances and we've got to create the inve investment in things that are going to... Yeah, we've got to re dramatically reduce the amount of waste we dump into the atmosphere, dramatically uh, get away from carbon dioxide, start using our capacities to enhance biodiversity rather than destroying it, uh, take things like plastics out of circulation. That involves a massive level of investment. And you've to, to drive that investment, I think fiat currency is the only way it's going to go. But once you get through that, you want to have a form of money that means we don't degrade the biosphere to grow the economy. And therefore, physical constraints to the amount of money in creation may well be necessary. And money which is multidimensional. So I've come up with the idea of a carbon, a parallel carbon currency where everything would yep. have two prices. That's a step in that direction, but it's only a step because uh, you'd also want to be having uh, credit. But that space. is constrained. That is so, constrained. So that is like, like, yeah. the, like, like the gold we've, standard. We've, we've grown too much. Yeah. Okay. We've so grown we've, far beyond the bounds of this So we have fiat currencies that uh, that expand as as necessary for you know whatever the mechanism, by whatever mm. mechanism, by, mm. by issuing of loans by and large or mm. government overspending. But then we have a another currency which is constrained, which is the which is your consumption of uh, resources. Yeah, and yeah, that would be the equivalent of a gold standard in that it's got well, a set. It's, it's, it's saying it's you, you can, you've, you've putting some constraint on the monetary system. Yeah. Okay, and the constraint would be based on the ecological. Right. capabilities of the planet so we've got so many tokens or whatever we're going to call these currencies that you have to use whenever you uh, buy anything that has consumed resources from the planet uh, and you get allocated those and there's only so many of them to go around and once you've used them all you either can't use can't buy anything else or you have to trade and buy them off somebody else who's going to use less 
something of that nature. I mean, that's the idea of the of the tradable universal carbon credits. Yeah. Um, and in, and and, impo- and impose it in such a way that it drastically reduces the desire to consume carbon. So this has been talked about quite a bit lately, hasn't it? I mean, less so since the pandemic, but it was mm. certainly getting some some traction before the pandemic. And they got a lot more traction is, afterwards too. Is I wonder if it will happen because there's not many arguments against it actually, are there? Apart from the usual freedom of choice, blah, 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 yeah. uh, and climate change is a hoax, so why do you need to do anything? Apart from those people, mm. uh, the GB News viewers, what I mean, what's the what argument is there against it? Well, the rich have to obviously pay a lot more because they're going to be buying these carbons because they're The carbon idea would credits. be the rich would be dramatically have the consumption constrained by the need to buy carbon credits off the poor. Mm. The poor would get income distribution coming in their in their favour because they'd have more carbon credits than they currently consume. Uh, and then you'd be doing a, a similar thing. Uh, it, fundamentally, you, you would be tackling one of the major weaknesses of capitalism, and that's not that it's got a flexible monetary system, but that it has such enormous inequality. Mm. And that inequality is counterproductive to the sustainability of life on the planet. So uh, back to BRICS, just very finally. Then uh, mm-hmm. we are we're jumping about all over the place a bit today, but in a good way. With gold in our pockets, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, if BRICS did have a trading currency and it wasn't mm. backed by gold, they just said, "Well, okay, we need to avoid all these exchange rate fluctuations that mm. we've got between our between our currencies, which could be quite considerable given the the, the constituent parts." Can they do that without having a shared central bank? Can they just operate or do they have to go down the road of the European experiment? And wouldn't they be looking at that and going, oh, well, that didn't work out too well? Well, there could be not not the European experiment as the as the Bancor experiment that was never taken on. Yeah. And then but you- assume, but that's a, that has to be a global thing. If you're looking at a trading block that says, well, OK, we want to try and limit the uh, the fluctuations between ourselves so we can trade freely amongst ourselves. Mm. And if somebody is buying from us or we're selling to they've them... They've got to buy, let's call it a bank or Yeah. What, they've yeah. got to exchange dollars for bank or Yeah. Then you've, they've got to have a central bank. Well, they've got to have a central authority. Mm. You know, like the International Monetary Fund was supposed to be the authority that administered the bank or under Keynes's proposal. So the the BRICS would need to have a, you know, the, the, a BRIC bank or, uh that... Was the but bank, the idea of the bank core was that, yeah. that that would be a global currency and it would it would work out fluctuations across on a global scale. Yeah. But if you have the, enough countries joining in, you you know you've got part of the globe and you'd actually want to encourage. You'd still be fluctuating against the U.S. dollar though. Be, yeah, against the U.S. dollar. But the thing is, you, then, then it's a, guy, a gamble about which which block is going to grow, which block is going to become more dominant over time, the American block mm. or the uh, or the BRIC block. But who? Uh, so you have to have an authority controlling that. You'd have and making sure you don't run trade too large trade deficits and so on, which of course was a major part of the Bancor proposal right. in the first place. So well, you're not going to get China in on that. Well, China is running a trade surplus and going very nicely at it. Yeah. If, so if you say you're making too much of a surplus and well, you've that, got to compensate that, that because would, these people... That, that would not be something they'd do. I imagine the one intention of the BRICS currency is to get larger trade surpluses. Across the board, yeah. I think so. Yeah. The limit of trade surpluses is zero. Okay? Yeah. But if you are starting for countries like you know, like China, obviously, which has got a huge trade surplus, Russia as well, I think, has a trade surplus still. Um, India, I'm not sure. 
I, I think a trade surplus. Well, you assume if it hasn't, it will. Yeah. But, but the okay. okay, so these are all it surplus countries. It would actually be countries. surplus versus deficit trade countries. Now, that could be an intriguing little <laughs> drama. Yeah. But what about uh, China saying, well, hang on a second, we've got a bigger surplus than you and our currency is stronger as a result of it. You're, you're dragging us down. We're not having a big enough surplus. That could be real fun. <laughs> I hadn't thought about that particular but, twist. But, but, but they'd all have to be equal to each other. I mean, if you've got someone has to lose out. If you, the moment you start to equalise a currency, someone's got to lose out, haven't they? So, I, I mean, are, are they going to agree? And if the, you know, and then there has to be the sort of agreement that you're getting amongst European nations. But these are culturally very different to you know the difference you, you see you, within I Europe. I mean, what the thing I, had, I hadn't thought about before is that. One thing behind a BRIC-style currency would be could be countries which are running trade surpluses mm. that are doing it. So they'd be earning money in their um, if they're if they're selling through the um, whatever we're going to call the, it. Let's call it the BRIC ore. Mm-hmm. Okay, they're selling. They're they're, they're making if you, to buy Chinese goods, you've got to buy BRIC ore. So you convert American dollars into BRIC ore. So there'd be an exchange rate between the BRIC the, the BRIC Become. currency and the U.S. dollar. And the U.S. would be running a continuous trade deficit with them, so there'd be American dollars accumulating in the in the brick or currency vault. We're back with France, we're back with De Gaulle again, and the capacity to say we're going to now use those dollars and come across and buy American assets or. Um, so yeah, they'd start actually coming the the, the the brick brick or currency could start trying to take over the ownership of the United States dollar world. But I just wonder whether that brick or currency would have a central bank where this money is being. There have to be a central bank. There'd be a central and authority. Yeah. Yeah. And how are these countries, which are quite diverse, going to agree to that? Given the you know. The, well, if they're all in trade surpluses, they can all agree to it. Because they'd be pocketing the money in 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 their. In their own, in the, in the international, you then want to transfer the money back. The trade surpluses get converted back into rubles for the Russians and and yuan for the Chinese. Uh, but yeah, I, I've got to sit down and work that one out. That's actually quite an intriguing problem. But if you if you had all the if the if the countries entering into this new parallel global currency were all running trade surpluses, then they're going to be accumulating American dollars and. Other. Well, they obviously are intending to be if they're not currently because they see that as the opportunity. Mm, They'll say, well, mm. we're the new world. We're, we're the export nations. Mm. We're the import nations. We, why, if we are the export nations, would we be dealing in your currency? Because we've got the upper hand. Well, we're going to be devaluing your currency because we're accumulating a trade surplus. The US I think I've got to spend some time with Minsky and work this one out. Yeah, yeah. Interesting, isn't it? Mm. Well, maybe we'll come back next time okay. and talk about it. We'll give you a chance to... Uh, give me a few weeks. To, to, to work on it. Okay. All right. Well, could next week be a few weeks? No. It, well, it could be in the time dimension that we're working in at the moment for reasons that are difficult to explain. Let's right go now. back to the future some other time. <laughs> <laughs> All right, whatever we're talking about, we'll talk about it next week. That's it for now. Good to talk, Steve. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. The Debunking Economics Podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
If you've enjoyed listening to Debunking Economics, uh, even if you haven't, you might also enjoy The Y Curve. Each week, Roger Hearing and I talk to a guest about a topic that is very much in the news that week. It's lively, it's fun, it's informative. What more could you want? So search The Y Curve in your favourite podcast app or go to ycurve.com to listen.